You're listening to And you're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 59 for Thursday, June the 10th, 2021. My name is Marvin Yu, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Jew. Hey, Jess. What up? How's it going? Um, it's good. I'm not. I'm choosing to take a internal sabbatical and not <laughs> concern myself with the dramas of other countries Asians right now. <laughs> well, let me correct that though. Joining us is a very smug self-proclaimed professional asian american because um we just watched an early screening of f9 we can't say anything about it because we're embargoed but just you you guess correctly on the number of things that's gonna happen i'm just saying i'm annoying but i'm not wrong <laughs> you gotta be mind. right mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm annoying but i'm not wrong <laughs> also joining us professional culture editor han win hey han hi how are I'm you not, doing? <laughs> okay, is it is it TCN again? Or? Yeah, no, it's TCA. No, not yet, but that's like in a couple months. Um, no, as I was kind of telling you guys, I ate too much food <laughs> for dinner, which is a yeah first world problem because but, I've been having a lot of uh, leftovers of Asian food. Well, leftovers as a result of us, to be uh, perfectly out, clear. Yes. So, yeah, so this past weekend, we actually hung out for the first time ever as the Good Pop Culture Club by going on a food tour of the San Gabriel Valley. And um, Han being the only one of us that isn't around here, we gave her all the leftovers because, you know, common courtesy, we give the guests the, the good leftovers. Yeah, and, you know, I appreciate it. And I also usually order extra anyway because I want to make that visit to SGV count. Um, so I often get extra. I bring a cooler with me and put that in my car. Uh, so that way I can enjoy extra Asian meals when I go home. You had a pretty uh, big haul because in addition to the leftovers from our Chinese lunch, you also had like, just how many bummies did you buy, Han? I think I bought her like three. And then three? Uh, there was like a plate of food. <laughs> And then some egg rolls, and then I ordered two bobas. And <laughs> so. then I, and then my mom, you know, it's the, it's oh, the yes. I'm a bad Chinese person. I don't exactly know what this festival, uh, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Festival, Marvin, the one where yeah, you yeah, make the Zongzi. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, which you should read that, like, origins of that festival is depressing. <laughs> but you make these, like, sticky rice pyramid tamales things. And my mom made a bunch. So I gave Han some too. And I'm like, just take them. And, I'm- yeah super excited about it i actually don't know what it's called yeah well i don't know what it's (laughs) called but all i know is like you know in some of the other asian uh groups we eat those and it's one of my favorite things like i get something similar when i go to dim sum we make something similar for tet in uh vietnamese uh new year i love sticky rice in (laughs) leaves whatever it takes a lot of work when you steam it um, but if you have an instant pot, it goes faster. So this is a very contentious thing between me and my partner. But which do you prefer? The savory version, the sweet version? Savory. Oh, 100% savory. Exactly, right? Right? Not just okay, the, not just savory, but like my mom makes the very like Shanghai way, which is like it's braised in soy <laughs> sauce <laughs> and yes. sugar. I don't like that white rice shit. Um, <laughs> and it's like stuffed with pork. And I'm like, yes, yeah, that's, yeah. that's how you have- should make them. 
It has to have pork. Um, we also use a mung be- uh, a shallot mung bean um, version Ooh. for um, tet for you know the vegetarians, and it's nice and spicy because of, there's a lot of black pepper in it too, and the shallots. Um, but yeah, I I love it, and that's why I I didn't know there was a sweet version, unless you mean like. The mango sticky rice? No, the Chinese no, sweet version like has like, um, white like red bean version. paste in the middle. Oh, yeah, and no. Some of them have like, are they like dates or oh, probably dates? Like right? jujube things? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've had jujubes before. Yeah, no, in general, this is going to be blasphemous, but I don't really love Asian desserts. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh my god okay thank you because like i also don't like like the red bean desserts that much yeah, either i, really I feel don't like very traitorous how dare yeah. you you don't I mean, like a look, good red bean soup you don't like the uh, almond oh, tofu no 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 I use I, jelly. Uh, the best. no i mean look i i just branched out to certain um bobas and even then i don't <laughs> like them too sweet uh i just oh i, I totally I take my boba sick. with no sugar just give me the milk tea Maybe some grass jelly topping. That's how you know you're old when you're just like zero percent sugar. It just doesn't um, taste good to me. Like it, like I, I want to taste the, the che- tea is what I want. The cheese <laughs> foam that you recommended that was enough. Like that's basically <laughs> like, uh, like salty caramel to me. Like, yeah, that's plenty. And then I do realize after I tried both teas that yes, I like it mainly strong black tea. Um, the the fruit green tea was fine but it wasn't strong enough for me i like i really i I guess i like that bitter tea flavor in it too anyway but yes so i am i'm just kind of reeling from eating double dinner (laughs) just because i couldn't stop myself well it was great to see you in person for the first time we've been doing this podcast over zoom for the last like over a year now over a year that was our first time meeting in person it was just great just to talk shit without the fear of like someone's probably listening on us on a zoom so you know when we're, when we're in person it's all off the record it was weird to see han's legs i'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> it's this weird irl sort of situation it's like wait i don't have to wait to talk because we can talk over each other <laughs> well this week on the good pop culture club because it is pride month the month of june um we're taking a look at the i guess would you call it the definitive or the flagship Asian American LGBTQ film in our canon, which is Alice Wu's 2004 film Saving Face. This is the first time I've seen this film, and it's been on my to watch list for years because, um, to be honest, I have felt like a bad Asian American entertainment person for not having seen this film. So I'm glad to finally have this um, checked off so I can. You never watched it in like class or like in college class i took like an asian american media studies class and this was on no the curriculum. i mean we watched uh we watched a lot of like documentaries so like who killed vincent chin and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah i do have to say another seminal one would be uh the wedding banquet but it was a co-production so it's not purely asian american that's true yes. and also in the and family it's gay not yes, lesbian. Gay. No, but it's still queer for a pride. So that's yeah. what I was just saying. Yeah. But yes, um, I had I missed it because I also well, I didn't I don't have I didn't get Asian American studies in college. So whatever I've watched is just on my own. Um, so I've watched quite a few films. But yes, there have been holes. And this is definitely one of them. And I'm very happy we watched it. Yeah. And man, it is great. I mean, we'll talk more about it when we get to our discussion segment. But I was like. I was pleasantly surprised. I, I knew it was good because that's 
from what everyone else has been saying, but I was really impressed by how good it was. But uh, before we get to Saving Face, let's find out what pop culture is beginning through this week. Um, Han, what's popping? All right. So this is for you people who, all of you who have Peacock. <laughs> um, it's a new comedy. It's a British comedy, and that means it's only six episodes and they're like half hours. So be prepared to go on a whirlwind uh, comedic trip, but then also want more. Um, it is called We Are Lady Parts. It is a comedy about a, an all-female Muslim punk band in, I believe, London, somewhere mm-hmm. in England. Um, and... It's hilarious. It's just it's just really fun and hilarious, but also very sweet. It's interesting how you really get um, devoted to each of the band members. Like everyone has like a favorite, but you can't you kind of love them all. So our entryway into this uh, is Amina. She is not part of the band yet. She is a humble guitar teacher. Uh, She's a good Muslim girl. She's trying to get married. You see her meeting one of her prospective suitors. And uh, she's being picked apart like, uh, wait, you teach guitar, but you don't perform. She's like, no, 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 I don't go perform. That would be, you know, that'd be haram. And so, um, so and, and then, you know, she also like, are you wearing that? Like, those colors are so bright and they're very pale and p- pastel and stuff. So um, what's interesting is she is fully like wanting to conform and be a good girl and get this, this suitor and a husband because her best friend nor is engaged to be married and um she just kind of wants to fit in but interestingly amina's parents are the ones who kind of don't care and <laughs> like her mom doesn't wear a head covering she's just like do what makes you happy um she her, the mom and the husband uh, and the father like have really hilarious chemistry like she'll say stuff like really insulting she's like no offense she's like none taken and so it's like that's constantly their like dynamic um so it's interesting to see that this is something that she's chosen for herself um this sort of mindset and the way she runs into this punk band is the punk band needs to um play at sound smash which is a sort of showcase for unsigned bands but in order to get in they think oh my god we need a lead guitarist um like a really you know someone who can take the solos and be that sort of person and um they they somehow get a hold of her. She doesn't want to do it because, you know, she doesn't want to perform. Eventually, they kind of trick her into it because she's interested in one of their brothers. And he, to, <laughs> and he has a very good beard and he's very sweet. Um, he is an, an anthropology major. She is a microbiologist. They're very much on the uh, university track. Um, and so it's just very cute, first of all, for her reluctantly trying to get into the band. What I love is they genuinely have some really good punk songs i'm a i love punk um it's fast and loud and sort of screamy um sometimes <laughs> but it's also very uh cathartic and one of the songs that i think is hilarious and she's like um i don't know if i want to sing this it's called um voldemort's alive and he's under my headscarf <laughs> <laughs> and, and they actually have legitimate Ooh. lyrics for this thing um And uh, at some point she is inspired by something and she uh, says, God, like, you know, she's talking about how she's 
so crazy about guys. She's like, I just shouldn't fall for any Bashir with a good beard. And they're like, hmm. <laughs> and so that becomes a song. So it's very just fun and sweet. And of course, they all have problems um, being Muslim and performing and, you know, breaking barriers. That is an issue, of course. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing what they do in six episodes. Um, and by the end, I think you'll be like cheering along and hoping that like everyone gets a happy ending. Um, it's only six episodes. Like I said, I'm very much crossing my fingers for more. It does have a good ending, but at the same time, I always want more because, you know, these British shows like Fleabag and Catastrophe and all that. It's like they're so good that you just need, to, you know, these stories to continue. But yeah, yeah. highly yeah. recommend it. But then I, it's like they're good because they know when to end it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that's also the case. Like, I'm very satisfied with Fleabag having only two seasons. But I think I was happy that it got a second season because that second season was killer. So, um, yes, uh, I I very much recommend this. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about another British show next week. But. <laughs> I mean, it sounds great. It sounds like, I mean, we've all seen shows like this before, right? Like the Battle of the Bands mm-hmm. with the reluctant, like talented front person. But to see it told from like a perspective that we haven't seen televised yeah. before is mm-hmm. all makes all the difference, right? Yeah. And yes. I, I have to say the lead is great because she, you know... Normally, that sort of character, like who just wants to get married, is like I don't really care about her. But <laughs> she plays everything with such physical, like humor. She is definitely a, a talent. And then also they have a few um, little fantasy moments when you see inside her head, but then they like play it out in real life. So <laughs> that's fun too. Um, I and I, yeah, there's a great. I love how the parents are like the chill one. Yes! She's putting it on it. Like that's the thing. You can still do storylines like arranged marriage and stuff. You know, grappling with expectations. Just do it in a way that isn't stereotypical. Yes, exactly. Uh, there's a moment when the mom gets a gets a look at the guy that she's interested in, and it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yes. Uh, so what's popping with you, Jess? I watched the Netflix docuseries High on the Hog, uh, which I think was premiered just like a week or two ago. And it follows, it's an investigation and a deep dive into the food traditions of the African diaspora and how it has really shaped American food, American cuisine, or what we think of as, you know, general American cuisine. Um, So, you know me, I'm I'm like a nonfiction TED Talk bitch. I love food. This is a direct intersection of what I enjoy reading, thinking about. So it's based off this book by Dr. Jessica Harris, um, also called High on the Hogs. So of course, I went to my independent bookstore and bought a, myself a copy because <laughs> they had the Netflix. You know, they're smart. They had the little Netflix little sticker on the cover that's like now a Netflix series. And it's really fascinating. I find, you know, I consider myself a fairly well-read person, a fairly like hobbyist historian you know history hobbyist i like learning these random facts i I generally know a lot of random historical facts especially about food because that's a particular interest of mine and i was just like so like amazed at all the shit i did not know and the way it's framed i think it's really interesting they do not you know sugarcoat shit they drag jefferson and washington our you know formative America's formative presidents because they both had enslaved chefs and uh, who 
popular shit like mac and cheese, and they did some pretty <laughs> shitty things to make sure that they stayed enslaved, which, you know, is not a narrative we learn about our founding fathers. And yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's it's I think I thought the series was really well done. I thought it was very moving. They start in like Africa, the markets of Africa and benign, and then they go all the way to like modern day, like you know, barbecue, contemporary cooking, and how all those food traditions are very much rooted in the African diaspora, which so many things were lost in the transatlantic crossing and the middle passage, but more there was a lot of food traditions even if we as a general american populace are not aware are you know the vestiges of the african heritage but that, all of that was super interesting made me fucking hungry like don't watch us <laughs> if you're hungry um and the book is fantastic it's part memoir it's part uh just like like educational like writing but she writes it very well and of course like re- a few recipes there's like a forward by maya angelou i think if you've got a forward by maya angelou like you're just a <laughs> fucking cool person because <laughs> yeah. i'm pretty sure maya angelou did not like do anything she did not want to do right yeah and i just uh. think food is such a good trojan horse to make us think mm-hmm. about these deeper things like everyone understands inherently food and like like we could, that's a, such a human thing and then when we talk about food we can talk about so many other things like the economy of the slave trade and like globally how that happened and like literally like the slave trade boomed in America because of rice specifically very specifically because mm-hmm. of rice mm-hmm. so it's it's like it's wild i mean this is just like the nerd ted talk in me I mean, I've, I've i've read whole books about cod though like this is really yes. my jam i mean the history of imperialism has been about spices tea, yes yes you know? it's really like if you really sit down and think about at the baseline just like they wanted things like they wanted fancy things like silk and tea and Cinnamon. chocolate and chocolate. coffee and yeah. sugar and alcohol or things to make alcohol like rum and that is literally what led to like the whole system of imperialism and capitalism that we're still living in. Um, okay, so I like all of that shit. Uh, I need the re- your recommendation for the COD book. Oh, you can just borrow it. It's a fantastic <laughs> okay. book. That writer yeah. is great. I will send it to you. That's exactly. Oh, next time I see you, I will just give it to you. <gasps> yeah, yes. that's exactly my shit. Like I love food history, especially. So. Oh yeah, the author also wrote Milk. Which is about milk. I I, I will send them all to you. <laughs> I love it. Okay, yeah, and um, I have been meaning to watch this show, and I've heard amazing things about this show. So very excited to just like have food ready. I, I was about to, to say I'm gonna have a lot of food like handy before something spicy would be great. They eat a lot of like chili because that's like also an mm. African tradition of having like you know some kind of chili sauce, which is like. Also very Asian, right? Every mm-hmm. Asian restaurant you go to, there's some kind of chili sauce on the table. And yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, is it really only the Europeans that didn't eat chili? <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder wh- why like European like just lost all of the flavor. Because you, you would it went think everywhere it'd be like, Because they were too yeah, busy would, fighting wars against each other. Yeah. Ex- ex- to make <laughs> spicy food. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're too busy decimating each other's food production capabilities and having famines and stuff. Oh well. Okay, so Marvin, what are you? That's I'm. I'm like rubbing. Marvin's rubbing off on me. It's some depressing ass shit. But Marvin, what have you been watching? All right, we'll get to our regular Go Asian segment for Top Chef in a bit. But I actually watched something new. Actually, not really new. It's old. 
But okay, my dad's <laughs> visiting, so um, I he's a big Boba Fett fan, so I put on the Man- Mandalorian for him, and we ended up watching all two seasons of the show. And so now I can finally say I've watched The Mandalorian. I don't know about you. Uh, I know we've talked about this offline before, but I used to be a huge Star Wars fan. And I kind of dropped off at about the time Attack of the Clones came out. What was it, like 2002, 2001? Um, we have opposite experiences because that's when I hopped on, Marvin. Because <laughs> let me tell you, Anakin Skywalker, Christian Andersen, he could get it. No. Um, no. That, that, that trilogy is trash. Um, I think they did come back. Once they came to the the new trilogy, well, I came back on Force Awakens. I was high right. on um, Last Jedi, and then I still I this, I've never seen Episode three or Episode six for um, I guess so. for reasons that would three. be three is pretty good. Three is pretty good, and three like, the is sheer important to understand. Ability has I think redeemed the prequel trilogies. <laughs> has it? Jar Jar yes. is very. Do we need oh, to go Jar Jar's back? terrible. We cannot. We cannot <laughs> redeem Jar Jar. But yeah. no, two and three. I know we've done a Fast and Furious rewatch. Do we need to do a Star Wars rewatch? I oh, refuse shit. to participate in number one. I have know nothing about trade <laughs> federations, and um, I don't think I can make myself. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Since we're already on this tangent, Jess, which Edge Lord do you like better, Anakin Skywalker or Kylo Ren? Oh, 100% Anakin Skywalker. Kylo Ren can, like, uh, he's so, I can't. Like, there's so many things that don't make sense about Kylo Ren. Um, Like, I'm still really shook by, like, the, like, weird high-waisted pants and then the Gap pajamas that he's, like, running into. And then, like, I cannot, I still cannot forgive what they did in, like, making them kiss. Like, he's a war criminal. Like, he's a war criminal, guys. Like, like, it. No, like that's not an like no, like like Ray's forgiveness should not have redeemed him for all the war crimes he did, and uh, I'm just no, no, I hate. I was not a Kylo Ren. I mean, fan. Anakin Skywalker also a war criminal though. Yeah, but he we saw his whole journey as to why he made there weren't right choices. <laughs> the Jedi definitely failed him. And, you know, I see like the whole Anakin Skywalker thing, like as a allegory for kind of like toxic masculinity. Like this is what happens when they tell you not to feel shit and they don't deal with it. And like, honestly, like it's if a dude, if Anakin Skywalker is like, I love you so much. I'm like going to kill a bunch of kids for you. I it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me. I'm just, <laughs> you know, like that's love that you love me a lot. Like a lot, like maybe too much. I have to say, all the reasons why you don't like Kylo is one of the re- is why I like him. Ironically, I think he delights me whenever he's on screen. I just have to laugh and I smile. And maybe that's not the effect they wanted. <laughs> that's <laughs> supposed to be the effect you when you say Kylo Ren. But, like... but I mean, when he wore those high waisted pants, I was dying. It was so good. <laughs> like I, so, I, you have to kill yeah. the best. Kill it. Kill yeah. it. <laughs> the, that, the, the, I'm going to save you and the last kiss and then dying. I'm just like, oh, it's so good. Like, it's so bad. I audibly <laughs> yelled, what the fuck, when they kissed in that last movie? I in a packed dying. midnight screening. I was like, what the fuck? I saw it at a screening with some of my journalist friends, and I was just like, tears were streaming out my face. I think I read so a tweet bad. about your exclamation. <laughs> Because someone tweeted, someone just yelled, what the fuck, during... The I'm sure I'm not yeah. the only one who had that reaction. 
yeah, one of oh. my new coworkers watched near me, and he was just like, "I couldn't even hear the dialogue because you were laughing so loud." <laughs> so, uh, oh, good times. Anyways, bad Mandalorian. It was okay. Um, yeah, it was all right. It's it's. So the action scenes are cool. I mean, my dad loves like just like dumb action movies, so it was enough for him. Um, the space battles are cool. My main critique of that whole series is like maybe this is just after watching something more hard sci-fi, like The Expanse. Was like, how is this man going to all these planets and just parking wherever he wants and leaving the door open? It's like where. Is, While he's the most like valuable bounty in the galaxy, and then he's like surprised every time <laughs> it goes wrong. Not even that, but where where are the border agents? Where are the customs agents? Like, is no, I thought the, I thought the New Republic vacuum, was like running things. Down. No, it's the vacuum of the fall of the empire. So that's why it's a little like not organized. Then where right are the now. local warlords running things? You know, I have questions. Gideon How- Moth Gideon is like the <laughs> local warlord. Yeah, uh, I have a question. How did you like Fennec Shan? Uh, Ming Na's character. I did enjoy the fact that Ming Na has the hat trick of Disney princess roles. Mm-hmm. She is now in Marvel. Actually, is she can she's not canon in Marvel though, is she? She is. Agents yeah. of Shield is canon. Is yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it crossed over with oh, the yeah. MCU. One hundred. Oh. Yep. So she's May Agent May, uh, Mulan, and Fennec Shand. I liked her. I felt like they. I wish they did more with her. They're going to. Did, did you watch yeah. both seasons? I did. She was probably okay. the only one in that entire cast who knew how to fight. Um, and you saw uh, Kim's Convenience dad in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I did enjoy um seeing him play thing. just like a, a cop. Your neighborhood, like motorcycle cop. That was what he I, played. I forgive a lot of the sins of Mandalorian and some of its like weaknesses because it introduced Werner Herzog to a mass mm-hmm. audience so now when I say I love Werner Herzog and the way he when I do my Werner Herzog impression now it's a bad one but people like kind of get it now and it gave us a plethora of interviews of Werner Herzog talking about the baby Yoda yes. puppet which is fantastic you need to watch those yeah that's my favorite oh. because Werner Herzog for those who are older know him as a filmmaker like a very respected filmmaker and then when he became an actor you're just like wait what's going on and then he got, got into Star Wars I'm like what the hell is going on <laughs> yeah I mean he had, the cameo, he had the cameo in Parks and Rec he sells Andy and April their house and that was super great. Apparently, that was like his request. He wanted to be on the show. And then to see him in this great, that's the saddest part about season two. Like, he didn't, you know, he doesn't get to come back for season two. But like that one line where he's just like, I would like to see the baby. And then they're like, oh, no, 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 baby. He's like, I will be quiet. (laughs) That was worth the entire, whatever the budget of these two seasons is worth it. Just worth it for Werner Herzog in that scene. I didn't expect the Mandalorian to be so goofy. Maybe that's where (laughs) my expectations and reality clashed. I think I have a feeling I'll like Andor a lot better. Were you not, were you not like mesmerized by the cuteness of baby Yoda though? Like it was pretty fucking cute. Like I don't like kids. By the time I watched it, which was like last week, Baby Yoda is already part of like the the common lexicon, so I already knew what was happening, and I've already seen Baby Yoda at Star Wars Land. In this, no, land. but in action, doing things like turning on switches and drinking from a <laughs> mug, like that's different. I'm just glad they used like a puppet, to be honest. Yes, very cute, but also probably enhanced. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. Anyways, yeah, Mandalorian. It was fine. I think um, Andor is much more my speed. And I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, 
Uh, what's the guy's name again? Uh, Diego Luna. Yeah. Oh my god, I cannot handle like mm-hmm. when Andor comes out. You are literally gonna have to come like break into my house, come into my room, and stick me with an EpiPen because <laughs> I will have hyperventilated out of like sheer lustful horniness for this man slash character. Like I, I don't, I don't know if I'm able to express the magnitude of my love for. This man slash character. Have I expressed it enough? And then like <laughs> the rest of the cast is also very like stacked. Yes. I mean, I, I adore him also. So yeah. uh, we're I, looking forward yeah. to that. Um, tonight, as we're recording this two days ago for all you all would be its premiere of uh, Loki. So we're also looking forward to that on Disney+. Plus. And we're and while we say tonight, we mean like midnight technically on whatever coast. So uh, Marvin will be staying up to watch it. Hopefully Disney Plus didn't does. Yeah, hopefully plan. they're spinning up the server so they don't crash this time because I, I think mean, that's that happened for HBO with uh, Mayor of Easttown finale, mm. um, which meant that a lot of our finale write ups went up too early <laughs> because we scheduled <laughs> oh, them. We shit. scheduled them ahead of time. Um, oh, that's, but that's awkward. A- uh, they just didn't have to read it. And while so. we're on this new release things tonight, or if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out, hopefully if it gets on a Thursday, I'm going to try my best. In the Heights comes out too. Woo! Oh, so which will be streaming on HBO Max for all you at home. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right, let's do a quick Go Asian segment before we move on to talk about Saving Face. Because this episode, this past episode of Top Chef, episode 10, I want to say, um, was the Asian episode, I guess. It was the Tournament of Tofu. And I'm glad to say both of our remaining Asians made it through with flying colors because they were probably the only ones in that cast that knew how to deal with tofu. Well, sadly, one person, other person did, but she had some issues. Because she's yeah, she sliced yeah. her thumb and was like squirting blood on all the dishes. I was like, that cannot yeah. be safe. Yeah, okay, so she I had gotta to like say, redo stuff. Whenever yeah. I see these chefs use the mandolin, I'm mm-hmm. always like, oh god. Yeah, the mandolin uh, should be on the Mandalorian, um, but uh, <laughs> as a as a weapon. But honestly, I own a mandolin because I got one as a gift, and I'm too afraid to use it. Um, oh, <laughs> I mean, let me get you like I'll. Like when, whenever you're, I'll buy you a Kevlar glove for Christmas. Like that, that should, yeah. Because they have the guard, and then I've also heard of using like a potato, uh, you know. Also, but like, yeah, I or I, I slice it, and then I leave a whole big chunk left because I don't want it getting yeah. in my hand. Yeah, so. I have been told by doctor boyfriend that mandolins are like either number one or number two causes of ER visits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if uh, I, ATV, it, depending on where you are regionally, ATD <laughs> is also very high up there. Eight, I want to see the intersection of the of geography where the ATV and mandolin are both the highest um, injury causing. Oh, it's called Florida. <laughs> it is probably Florida. Yes, <laughs> you you are correct. Uh, all right. Um, any thoughts on the tofu challenge? It's good that the Asians are safe. Um, one thing that Jess did mention in our group chat on Slack is why do they always have to use the Oriental music when yeah, they're doing the they Asian challenge? Yeah, they need to do better. I... They did that last season too, and they visited Alhambra to eat in the like <laughs> to mm-hmm. eat the Chinese food. And I was like, "Come on, Padma, you're like an executive producer now. You know better." Yeah, all of the it it very much gave me a, a, a throwback to the live action Mulan, um, because I remember like the music was just so 
outwardly like we're Asian music. Oriental. Uh, Oriental. Orientalist. Yeah, it was Oriental. <laughs> Very Oriental music. Um, yeah, same here. I mean, I don't think there was a gong, but it was still like that. It was like an inaudible sorta. gong. Like uh, it was one of those gongs where they didn't need to play the gong, but you know the gong was there. I mean, yeah. if you, what? How do we feel about them setting it also in the Japanese gardens of Portland? Beautiful place. I've been beautiful, but like, it, you know, it is a like attraction and like a landmark of Portland. But like, it was it, I. It was a little bit too on the nose. I agree, but I the, something that I did find out, which I thought was interesting, was they had. It was also because in Portland they had the oldest independent tofu creator or whatever in the country there so that's one of the reasons why they did it um which i very much enjoyed because some of my favorite ingredients so far this year is mushrooms they feature that on top chef and now tofu so i'm very very happy i i want well they already they've used seafood that's another favorite i'm one. sure the producers wanted to evoke like a game of death style martial arts tournament <laughs> setting which is why they set it in that japanese garden it was funny that because there were so many um, ties when the judges were uh, voting on who had the better dish that they got tied up so often that they had to have the judges on each side sort of line up and like face each other like they were going to rumble <laughs> and then like tell why they were defending this particular tofu dish. So I thought that was funny. So maybe it was Game of Death. <laughs> yeah. You should have put them all in yellow outfits. <laughs> well, both our Asians, Shota and Jamie, live on to fight another day. Um, we lose Dawn, who uh, is the chef who cut her thumb on the mandolin. No, she didn't leave. It was Byron got right. kicked, Byron out. kicked right. out. Oh, I thought yeah, Byron got it, kicked out. It was very close. I really was like about to say goodbye to one of my favorite characters because she is one of those who is an Olympian. And then she became a chef. She's in Houston. So uh, many things that I like, you know, I'm from Houston. And it felt like to me that she had just a really great palate. Um, so I was just so afraid because she's used <laughs> tofu before and she knew how. But because of the whole blood incident and then it seemed like she had copied Byron, possibly. Um, I felt very afraid that she was going to go home. Yeah. You know, I, Byron, I still need to give him credit, you know, and he was very happy because I think it was Costa Rican, Costa Rican mm -hmm. um, representation. He was the first one on Top Chef. He's also DACA. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I was sad to see him go, but at the same time, we're getting close to the end here. So Yeah, we're going to start seeing some favorites go. So as long as, as long as one of the Asians make it, I'm still okay with the season. I would be okay with the two <laughs> Asians and Don at the end. So, I actually wouldn't be like like annoyed if any of the remaining contestants won. There are some seasons where like I definitely do not want this one AO to win. And sometimes <laughs> they win. Like Nick, oh my god, like I'm still mad at the whole Nicholas <laughs> winning bullshit. Yes. And they've not brought him back at all, right? Because no one likes him. Yeah. <laughs> no one likes him. Everyone likes Nina. No all-stars so, for him. Yeah. No, no. Because he, I mean, he fucked over Stephanie. Like, it was a whole mm. thing. I still, I still remember. <laughs> I hold grudges forever. <laughs> all right. Well, both Jamie and Shoda moving on means that next week we'll be back again to talk about Top Chef in our Go Asian segment. Um, but with that, that'll do it for this week's What's Poppin'. Uh, when we come back, we're talking about the 2004 Asian-American lesbian rom-com Saving Face. We'll be right back. <sighs> Kathy? Kim? Steve? 
Where have you been? We haven't seen you for seven years. Has it been that long? Uh Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, I was on a fishing boat. Training. It's part of the plan. What training? What plan? The the third season of the Korean Drama Podcast! Okay, we're doing this again? Okay, there's no body switching in this one, right? No! The only thing we're switching is the fact that we're going to watch a good drama this time. From 2020, called Itaewon Class! story about starting a restaurant and a dish that Koreans love called revenge. I thought you were going to say kimchi jjigae. I thought you were going to say juke. Those two. Koreans love those two. Listen to the Korean Drama Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, this week we're talking about the, would you say it's a classic now? The classic Asian American lesbian film, uh, 2004 Saving Face, directed by Alice Wu. Yes, I think it's special also because it's definitely in the Asian American film canon. And it's it's not in the lesbian queer yeah, canon. It's, I mean, it's also in the, it's in the LGBTQ canon. But it's amazing because it's like, at least in the Asian American side, like it's a queer rom com, but it's not like it's in the canon regardless, right? Yeah. Like it's like you watch this even if you were straight because you're like, yeah, it's, it's a like good ass the film. one, yeah. it's the number one great ass film. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, we have an Asian American, actually Asian American, like from that perspective film. Yeah. And it was like, I was impressed that. It was a 2004 film about Asian Americans that wasn't about the immigrant experience. It was about parent-child relationships, but not in the way that we've seen like a billion films from this era be, right? It was like its own thing, and it was really fresh. Even watching it now for the first time, it was fresh. like Because I don't think we've had anything quite like it since then, which is wild, right? Yeah, I think Alice is really talented and brings such a nuanced perspective because she is a gay you know queer asian woman so she was a very depth in avoiding a lot of the asian american tropes or like subverting them or putting a very different spin on them as well as like subverting a lot of like the lesbian tropes right like no one dies in this film guys wow this is 2004 (laughs) and no one dies wait wait there's two women who love each other and they both stay alive how's that possible everything yeah. that i've seen uh, yeah. from uh, from carol to uh <laughs> uh what was the most recent one um oh uh portrait of a lady on fire like someone has to be sad right right yeah. there's no tragedy they spoiler end up together happily um but she's able wow. to do it in a way that does not disregard the specific cultural lens in which these characters are coming from like the reactions of you know the very rare reactions of their community their families and you know just things like oh the mom you know played by joan chen knows that her daughter is gay but just kind of ignores it like that's a very asian response to things very chinese mom response yeah i mean something. we'll get to discussing all those themes um really quickly a quick summary of the film um the film centers on michelle Cruz's character wilhelmina uh, which is a very like 
I don't even know if I know any Wilhelminas that are Chinese, but it sounds like something a Chinese mom would name. It's it's a very like <laughs> Chinese thing to give a very fancy adult name to a like a slightly outdated name to like a small baby, you know? That's that, true. That's that's big Chinese <laughs> energy too. Um a young Chinese American surgeon um and her unwed pregnant mother, played by Joan Chen, and dancer girlfriend, played by Lin Chen. Um, it was the first Hollywood movie that centered on Chinese Americans since the Joy Luck Club in 1993, and this came out two years after um, Better Luck Tomorrow, which was like at that time the biggest Asian American film. I also thought it was interesting that this was by Overbrook Entertainment, which is Will Smith's, you know. Banner. Oh, don't you know the story? <laughs> Please tell me. This is my claim to fame. So the organization I work for, a nonprofit, used to have a contest for basically the best Asian American screenwriters. And Alice won that contest in 2001. So while they would host a reading of the script, and one of our advisors was Teddy Z, who is Will Smith's producing partner. And he read that, he heard that script and was like, I'm making that movie. So that's how Saving Face got made. She and won the Cape contest. Teddy was in the audience. He produced it under Will Smith's banner. Yeah, and I was actually surprised to hear that this was like a Hollywood studio film. I mean, it's still an independent film, but you know, it's produced by a big time producer and distributed by Sony Pictures Classics, which is the you know the artsy art house imprint of Sony Pictures Entertainment. Um, I was under the impression that it was like just a full on indie production all the way through. So I was actually really surprised that. It had like Hollywood people behind it. Yeah, I mean, I think the landscape is very different. This is like really still pre-internet. Or, I mean, internet was there, but there wasn't like this robust way of interacting. This is pre-social media. So even, because I, I don't recall it necessarily getting it a wide distribution. I think I heard it just from the virtue of, you know, being, following like Asian American stuff. Um, it definitely was big on the Asian American circuits, but I don't know how many people like went to go see it in a theater. And I think he has since lived on in, you know, curriculums like Asian American studies curriculums and, <laughs> or and even media it, studies curriculums. Because right? I feel yeah. like, you know, like general impressions for me was I was surprised. I'm not surprised. I was I was happy to see how well this movie holds up in 2021. You know, like I mentioned at the top of the show, it's one of my great shames. So I've never seen this movie in its entirety ever, even though I've been a part of this Asian American entertainment community for like the last 10 years. And so I was glad to finally get the chance to, you know, have the excuse to watch it for this podcast. And I was just totally like engrossed and it was it's super good. Yeah, I think one of the things about it that I you pointed out, first of all, is I mean, do we want to go into the deeper plot of it and spoil some things? Because I think that's one of the, the reasons why it works so well is, you know, you pointed out the sort of different dynamic that we see with the parent and child, you know, where both of them are adults. Um, that yeah. sort of relationship is different. And, you know, Joan Chen is the mom and she gets an, a legitimate good plot. And it's not just being about I'm your mother. <laughs> I was so like I don't think I've ever seen Joan Chen do like rom com type acting, right? She's usually like to be honest, like she's usually Dragon Lady or like overbearing mom because that's just how she's typecast. But it was so refreshing to see her in like a just a different role than what you're used to. And yeah. like what was really great is, you know, this is a it's a lesbian rom com, but 
<laughs> it's also a film about like adult pregnancy, right? Like late stage, like like she's mis- supposedly forty eight, right? Yeah, of course she looks amazing. Um, and Chen, she the woman still looks she, amazing today. Yes, she yes, still looks great. Yeah, I yeah, I just thought that was just fascinating because I'm watching it and I was like, she's like, I'm near her age. <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, um, like the big plot twist in the like the first third of the movie is her mom becomes pregnant and gets kicked out of her grandfather's house. And a big theme in this in this movie is in the title, Saving Face, and like the Chinese mm-hmm. concept of face, which is like the public social currency you have within your community. And like for a lot of older Asians, that is like the most important thing above like familial ties right yeah um i mean and also one of the biggest places where that plays out can you i don't know if you guys know about the sort of meeting that they have where everyone's dancing what is this a rec center please i don't someone please tell me about this so this is something i'm not familiar with because i didn't grow up in one of these like chinatown like historic enclaves but it's kind of like you know how if you grew up in like a like a historic enclave, there is like which like legacy associations? community events. Yeah, like it's like their association. So it's like uh, it's like the JACCC, but then like for some Chinese communities, you can get like oddly specific, like what region of China you're from, or you know if you are in, based in a you know a a Chinatown, especially like San Francisco, which this is where this movie is based. There is like a community center kind of like vibe to it. So it's, it's not that common in like the suburbs cause we don't trust nobody in the suburbs. Like you, it's you not, move away from the interior Chinatown. I'm pretty sure it's takes place in New York actually. Oh, it's in New York. Oh shit. Yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> yes, New York would also have it though. Cause yeah. Old yeah. School, Flushing, but... Cause um, yeah, that specific like gathering takes place in Flushing and it's about the Flushing Chinese community. Yeah. So Flushing mm. would definitely have it. Um, and, and yeah, it's just like, community because because chinese people are not like mainland chinese people not inherently churchgoers like we're not that religious like (laughs) like the a lot of the korean american community so this kind of takes that place of that like community center yeah that that was fascinating to me but also like frightening i'm glad i never had to endure (laughs) anything like that where like any any big gathering with tons of like Vietnamese people were usually probably like the weddings I went to when I was a kid. And that was always just such a like a trial because everyone's just like all the aunties and the uncles are like making judgments on you. And even if you're a kid, they're still trying to hook you up with some other kid uh, and make <laughs> and make these matches. I don't know how many times my mom would say later on, well, you know him like, uh, we always used to joke that you were his daughter-in-law, and I'm like, "What the fuck? Like, I didn't know about any of this." Uh, so there's always sk- some scheming going on, and that sort of matchmaking that they were doing in the movie, I was like, "Yeah, oh, I feel it." Matchmaking, especially like within like between Chinese parents, I know is something that happens. Mm-hmm. It's never happened to me personally. No, my mom was like super lazy. She also like loves to try to like humble me it doesn't work but she's always like who want like who wants to like date you you're so crazy and i'm like excuse you i am a catch yeah oh no my mom would always do the the like super modest to other people which is basically insulting me uh to other people (laughs) so she's like well i showed him your picture but it was just your soccer picture so i was like what the fuck like don't even bother 
you know? So, and after a while, I was just like, you kind of just don't know who I am, really. Like, just because the guy's Vietnamese, like, you didn't tell me anything else about him. Um, but yeah. I did enjoy seeing the cameo of Young Hoon Lee in yes. the dance scene. I would also say, of the non-Asians, you know, I was happy to see Ato Esando. Um, he's been in a ton of things uh, <laughs> on TV and movies, but also Jessica Hecht, who played her um, hospital co-worker, was later on in Kissing Jessica Stein, which was wow. also a lesbian sort of uh, rom-com comedy. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was actually kind of funny. Yeah. Jess, how was it for you kind of coming back to this film after seeing it before? I mean, it still holds up. Um, it is very fun to see, you know, friends, you know, people have gotten to know a little more like Lynn and and Michelle in this context. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I watched it as a like a college student. I loved it. It was um, it was probably one of my more favorite films that we had to study and then so like it's weird when you study things in like an academic <laughs> context and then you end up meeting these people so like when i first met linda michelle I was a little starstruck i was like uh, uh like you what and you know they're so talented and i always like to say that and i've seen michelle in other theater roles as well i think i actually went to go see a show because she was in it um so it was very like strange and of course now that i work for the organization that is part of the reason why this movie was made. I feel very proud, even though I had nothing to do with it. I was like twelve when this movie came out. Um, but it is, you know, and I've 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 gotten to meet Alice, and it's it that was. It's not even like starstruck. It's just like because I think starstruck is like a certain level of shallowness. It's like deep admiration for talent. Yeah. And yeah. And then we did a bunch of activations around the half of it. And I was just like so <gasps> curious because it was yeah. 15 years. The half of it was her second feature. Yeah. And it's almost like we talked about how it's like almost criminal that like the people involved in this film didn't keep working at this level, right? Both um like all of them, Michelle, um Lynn, Lynn, um, Alice, even Joan, like you know, weren't able yeah. to leverage this into like, you know, the they same. were able to keep working as actors. But if you look at their like filmography, Michelle Krusek and Lin Chen's like filmography, like if you don't count like the Asian American movies that they've done since then, are just a bunch of like, you know, this is the Asian week for Law and Order or Homicide or or yeah. NYPD. I mean, really different time, right? In two thousand and four, and I think had like, what were they going to do with three Asian women? At that time, I mean, we even saw it in like Joy Luck Club, which was a certified hit, and like none, you know, Ming Nas, like was kind of able to find some great roles after or here and there, but really, like there were just no roles. Yeah, and even like mm -hmm. Alice as a director, I mean, at least you know, um, Justin Lin after directing Better Luck Tomorrow got his Annapolis and kind of had like a foot in the door with Hollywood stuff. Like Alice kind of disappeared for fifteen years, right? I know yeah. she was doing some like project didn't get off the ground. I mean, um, Jess, you have more insight into where. Yeah, Alice and, was, and right? she, you know, she, she there was some family stuff she had to help take care of, and I am actually a little bit grateful because I feel like a distilled Alice or an Alice that had to fit like certain parameters of what they what like 
the capitalist part of Hollywood say it would sell would not have churned out some great stuff, you know? Like, I think Alice is so uncompromising that she's totally fine with, like, just not doing it if she can't do it the way she wants to. And I think she's proven that, like, she knows what she's doing. Like, um, just, just let her keep making movies the way she wants. Yeah. Writing That's them true. and directing them the way she wants. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Alice in 2006, 2008 wouldn't have been able to make the half of it, right? But Alice in 2021, the time... And the momentum was there for her to make that film. Well, the half of it was great. I like the half of it's great. And the way it has been able to land with like Mm -hmm. people today is pretty heartening. I've seen people with the half of it tattoos. (laughs) Yeah. They get they get that scene with like um Ellie and Astrid in the lake tattooed Uh on them. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if Saving Face came out on Netflix today? Mm Mm-hmm. As like a new movie that was properly supported with a 20-something-year-old Lin Chen and a 20-something-year-old Michelle Krusik and like Joan Chen. I mean, people probably tattoo that fencing on their bodies, right? They, it would, I mean, like we'd have like three Lana Condors, you know? Like (laughs) that's what would have happened and they would have probably had a better pick of roles um, because they are very talented. And like Lin's actually a great director too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It it won't have the same sort of like impact, of course. But my wish would be Netflix does put Saving Face on on its streaming service again. I mean, again, um, because I I don't know about you, but I've been um, victim of the uh, Netflix um, <laughs> uh, algorithm. algorithm. I was like anthropology, no, wrong a word. So <laughs> algorithm, and I've been getting a lot of late nineties early 2000 rom-coms recommended to me (laughs) so this one fits exactly the bill and they should have it when you finish watching half of it recommend saving face so that's that's a tip for you netflix get saving face Uh, but it's like free on amazon prime guys you don't even have to pay for it i mean you can do that too but everyone has netflix also so yeah that's true i i i feel like it still could have play if people rediscover it i saw someone else write something very recently about it which i was excited about so i'm hoping maybe we can get a resurgence because like for both films to be so great and different on their own um and play for then and now i think well just speaks to how great they are and how good she is i'm very much hoping that that means it opens the doors for so many other projects for her um yeah i'm yeah and i was just so impressed by how she dealt with the asian american themes right because like i don't know about you jess but i've i've been watching asian american films for a long ass time and a lot of the content coming out from this time period specifically was a lot of kind of clumsy attempts at like reconciling our relationships with our parents and this film does that with such grace and skill they do it but yeah but like alice always is smart enough to understand the piece that usually is missing from lesser projects which is she definitely humanizes the mom character right the mom is not just some tiger mom like the mom is going through her own shit she has this very full-fledged you know problem storyline issues motivations of her own also i just 
dumb dumb brain realize that you know spoiler alert the dad the baby daddy is our friend brian <laughs> who is now also a real dad in real life passage of time crazy and and the way that she deals with the intergenerational conflict is just like it's always like the 201 or the 301 level of how people of, yeah. of, that, of how those dynamics are portrayed and the way that she resolves like the conflicts isn't like it isn't like a neat like oh everyone is accepting and happy now it's like it's a gradual process right like yeah. joan chen gradually comes to accept her daughter's sexuality and <laughs> the community comes to accept that the fact that she's like in a relationship with a much younger man and now she's in demand to give advice <laughs> i love that so much yeah but like even in the end right like there are some people who walk out and they're yes. not down with it and it's just that like it's so in a way that's like you know we're still in a rom-com and they end up together and it's a happy thing but there are there's on, on the edges there is still some of that reality which i think is smart but at the end of the day it doesn't really matter because really the story is about will and her acceptance of herself and her and her in relation with her mother so that's like it's beautiful yeah and i love that it's a flail piety movie that doesn't seem it's not sad right doesn't film it as like a burden or like a a responsibility like well <laughs> will shows her flail piety by setting her mom up on dates that's i think yes. that was pretty Which, hilarious well and that's great but yeah, i so. what i also like it's also partly filial piety but partly just get her out of my out of- apartment you know like <laughs> I, I don't want to live with her anymore. I'm just going to set her up on dates and hopefully one of those click. One of my favorite scenes is like her, her play on like the Mrs. Robinson, like uh, the, the graduate scene where they run out of the wedding and they get in the bus and then immediately her mom starts saying all the things she wants to change about her apartment. And you can just hear like the Simon Garfunkel song play in the background, even though they don't have it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I didn't even realize the whole graduate. I'm dumb because I've also... I've never watched The Graduate, and I don't really plan to because I think it's a dumb movie. Um, but I've seen The Wayne's World, where they parody <laughs> that as well. That works. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I just think that you know, will there are a lot of movies where it's like just a one-way parent scolding child, yelling at child, and I'm not saying that doesn't exist. But this seems much more in line with the relationship I have with my parents of like half just getting on each other's nerves, like, you know, interacting with each other like a people. What a novel thought. Yeah. And I mean, there's just some specific like I'll say Chinese American because I don't know how pan Asian American this is, but like parents blaming America on the fact that you're so independent and weird is so relatable. I feel. And, and the, the the really subtle thing I don't know if anyone else like outside of I think this is somewhat true of Asian like maybe a bigger Asian experience but like the idea of marriage and love in like Asian cultures is very different right like I know a lot of couples in my parents age who like I don't know if they were in love when they got married. It was like, this is good enough. Like, yes, this makes sense. And yeah, why wouldn't I marry him? It's fine. I'll settle. He'll settle. And we'll make a life together. It's fine. Like, why bother with anything more? And I feel like 
you know, the 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 mom character, Joan Chen's character, like her rejecting of that setup. Um, like she's also very American now. She's more American than she thought she well, was. Yeah, because her her dad yells at her like she yells at her child, yeah. right? I really, I I hate to say it, but I really like that. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. like, don't you want to think about how you're reacting to your own daughter now that you're experiencing this again? Oh, we're talking about Asian parents here. They don't yes. have that kind of self self awareness. Well, yeah. she did there's wake no up. Self, there's no time for self reflection when you're like trying to survive in communism. You know, like you just do. Well, I mean, she's in America. What I'm talking about is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's why I was like, yes, I think that's part of her awakening. Yeah, so I guess is this is Saving Face good pop? It's some of the best pop. I think everyone should watch it. Yes, it can't just live in the queer canon and the Asian American canon. It should just be in everyone's canon. Yeah, I think it's kind of like Love and Basketball and Love Jones. Those are not just black films. Those are like really great like rom coms. And holy shit, we yeah. had to do Love and Basketball episode one day. <laughs> that is like one of my favorites. Yeah, so I would I would put that in there. Like it's just uh, not just funny, but actually a really good film. And so, Saving Face, two thumbs up, recommend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely. There's a reason why it's it's on everyone's list for like best Asian American film whenever whenever May rolls around, and usually like top like probably two or three Asian American films on those lists, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why it stands the test of time, and. Definitely, like for those of you who haven't watched it yet, definitely check it out. It's it's available for streaming, like we said, on Amazon Prime, um, and you can watch it on IMDb TV with ads too. If, if you haven't accepted Amazon Prime as your Lord and Savior <laughs> for your commerce needs, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really glad that I was able to see this film finally, and then I finally like not hang my head in shame when people ask me if I've seen Saving Face. Not you, say, now you can look Lynn and yes. Michelle in the eye and be like, <laughs> I have watched Saving. Face. I don't think Lynn knows that I haven't, I haven't seen. Oh shit! Face, so. <laughs> don't tell. <laughs> no one tell okay. Lynn. <laughs> yeah, don't listen. No to one her. tell her. No one tell her. Well, all right, that'll do it for our discussion of Saving Face. Um, tell us what you thought about the film by engaging with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Good Pop Club. Uh, Han, Jess, how can people find you on social media? I'm on Twitter at Jess Chew Tweets, and I am at Anonymous. And you can follow me on Twitter at Marvin Yue. You can check out past episodes of our show by going to the website Good Pop Club. Uh, the Good Pop Culture Club is also a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, an amazing collective of Asian-hosted podcasts. Uh, you can check out our fellow Potluck pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And with that, thank you so much once again for joining us on the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 